All right. So just a quick uh, recap this morning. Um, God brings judgment over humanity, preserves life through the ark and through the family line of Noah. Um, cities begin to grow. People, it doesn't take long for them to start sinning again, right? I mean, you start reading it and, and already they've forgotten about God. Already they're you know, going off and doing their own things. Um, the Tower of Babel is, is uh, symbolic. Some theologians say it's like the first religion. Um, I think the idea of self-worship and things obviously is, is rooted in the garden, you know, the fall, the first sin. Um, but here you have a group of people coming together, working towards a common goal, and that common goal is not God. That common goal is themselves. That common goal is let's make a name for ourselves. Um, and yesterday I, you know, I gave a charge and I said, we cannot live a life that is making a name for ourselves and making a name for God. That's, that's you know, having your foot in two places. And yesterday I said, any, any longing that you have to build a home, any longing that you have for a place of prominence or success or to be of value or to be an impact, those are, those are actually good things. Those are, those are things that God has given us, right? Uh, uh, to have a home, um, you know, to have a purpose. But you can't fall short of heaven. You can't, you can't make your purpose, you know, limited just to here. You know, our, our desire for a home is, the way God made us is ultimately our desire to be with Him. So until you know that, or for someone who doesn't have faith, and, and doesn't realize that they're sons and daughters of God, doesn't realize that their ultimate destination with Him, doesn't realize that they'll never be satisfied or fulfilled until they are one with Him in this lifetime, following in obedience, but also ultimately in His presence, you know, whether in our afterlife or whether if Christ comes before then. What happens if we don't have that true north, you know, that, that true orientation then we spend the whole of our lives trying to fill that space and I'm telling you, it cannot be filled. There's no amount of success. There's no amount of property. There's no amount of resources to the ends of this earth, to the ends of the galaxy that will ever satiate, that will ever make you feel full. Why? Because only God can fill that space. Amen? And so, uh, you know, humanity makes this, you know, first sort of organized religion, the worship of self, making a name for ourselves, uh, which would set the blueprint for, you know, building monuments and man-made things. You know, you would have idols, you'd have, uh, 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 you know, things carved out of stone and wood and things, right? But it all started here. It all started with, with, you know, worship of self. Idol, idol worship um, is quite fascinating because I, 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 you, don't, you don't see it as much, at least where I grew up, you know, for, for 30 years before I, I left, um, where, you know, where I grew up. You don't see outright 
like religious, religious artifact type idol worship. Um, and then you, and then I came to Asia, and and I saw everywhere. You know, there's there's all sorts of trinkets and paintings and statues and you know deities in the form of animals or you know images, right? I mean, you see it everywhere, and so. Uh, I remember doing baptism classes and um, you know teaching, and one of the things that you that that in Asia you have to say is this: is when you get baptized, you are accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, acknowledging you're professing your faith in Him, and that you're surrendering your life to Him. And so when you get baptized, I mentioned you know you're going under the water, right? That going under the water is symbolic of us dying, and then when you come out of the water, it's symbolic of new life. Um, and, and I used to teach that all the time. But when I got to Asia, I, I, I began seeing and I began recognizing that what, what, what happened is in, in, in Asia, all parts of Asia, right? I, I mean, you know, uh, all throughout the places I've traveled. Um, what ends up happening is people accept Jesus genuinely. They believe, right? Like this message and, and all that. But what they do is they take their faith in Jesus and they add it to their collection of other religions. And so it would, it would be not uncommon that you would go maybe to the older generation and they would have a cross and a Bible, but right next to that they'd have like a Taoist or a Confucianist sort of a, a, a painting or writing or statue, right? Are you guys, some of you guys, I'm sure you have family or friends or uh, cousins or distant. And, and so what ends up happening is it's, their faith in Jesus is added onto their pre-existing value systems. Okay? Um, let me take one step back. You know, when you see like on a dashboard of a car, a certain, you know, figure or a deity or, you know, an idol, um, you know, let, let, me, let me be clear. Whether it's the God of, you know, fertility, whether it's the God of, money, prosperity, you know, whether it's the God of good luck, whether it's the God of, I don't know what various types, you know, uh, fortune, health, wealth, right? There, there's idols and gods for all these. We, we agree? And they're in some form or shape in almost every culture, agree? Um, and so if you're, I mean, you have to be, you have to be spiritual. There, there, I want to I say this. There's absolutely, absolutely True life, real, demonic influence attached to these things, okay? I, I don't want to water that down. I don't want to mince my words, okay? Uh, I have experienced it personally. Physical, like, like, like real life manifestation. These things are real. The thing itself has no power, but it's a, it can be a medium by which, you know, the demonic powers and things can have influence, okay? So I want to I make sure... It's not just like in our head. It's not just like, you know, some religious talk. I want you to know demons and angels are real. Okay? If you're like still not sure, you come speak with me. I'll, I'll give you some stories firsthand. And then, and then I'll pray for you. <laughs> okay? That it doesn't happen to you. Um, and and I've, I always feel like I have to qualify by saying I've never done drugs. Okay? And so this stuff is like, I'm good. Right? It's, it's real. I, I can discern between, you know, okay. Um, having said that, having said that, um, at the same time, I, I want you to know any idol, 
in the form of any animal or shape or trinket or meaning, um, I want you to know if, if someone worships or subscribes or ascribes to the god or the goddess or the idol of health and you do certain practices or whatever towards that or the god of prosperity and you do certain practices towards that or the god of you know fertility and you do certain you know activities or motions or I want you to know that really when you take all these things and boil it all down like if we were to take all the idols and put it into a pot and put some water and melt it down and bring it to its base reduction and really all these things is really just worship of self because you're worshiping an idol that gives you prosperity that ultimately benefits who me you're worshiping the god of health and doing things so that what ultimately it'll benefit my health you're giving trinkets and things you know whatever uh, uh, traditions because ultimately it comes back to this. any idol, no matter how spiritual or not, or is ultimately a worship of self. It all originates here. Does that make sense? So yes, there's a spiritual component to it, but I want you to know, any worship of anything outside of God is worship of self. Does that make sense? Right? Um, and so in that sense, it's, it's, quite, it's quite apparent. It's quite, quite uh, obvious. Um, and so oftentimes... People subscribe to Jesus. Check this out. Following God and committing yourself to Jesus, if we are not careful, if, if we're not aware and intentional, without us knowing can be we're following him because of the things he can give us. Because God is God, but he's the real God for sure. But he also can give us things, bless us with things. And if the whole premise of your relationship with God, if the only reason you're following him, that we, you know, is, you know, because of the blessings and the things that he can give, um, then, then, you know, we need to do some soul searching, right? God is a father. He loves you. He has a purpose and a plan, all those things. They're good and they're going to, you know, but uh, we have to be careful. So, so then in, in other cultures where they may not have ascribed these things, well, it's, uh, 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 you know, Tim Keller, Redeemer Church says this, in, in, in irreligious or places that don't practice these things, it's, it's even more dangerous. It's because it's so subtle. So in the Western church, you don't have these, like, everyone knows you can't have, like, a statue of something as a Christian. You know, it doesn't mean, you know. But then you go into their house and they have all their awards. Right? You have all their uh, 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 degrees. Right? Um, like what is, you know, what is in your home when someone walks in, you know, if, if you're into design and stuff, what's the centerpiece? What's, what's the thing you want them to see? Your college degree, the job, the, the promotion, you, you know what I mean? You know, if you have multiple degrees or education or, you know, or a family name or something, that can be your idol. It's subtle. And so Tim Keller calls them idols of the heart. In a way, if you have an obvious idol, physical, and someone sees it and says, hey, man, you can't worship those things, that's actually better. The idols of the heart are hidden. They're treacherous. And every Christian and every believer has idols of the heart. Um, anything God has given you that is good, that becomes the ultimate thing, where we say something like, I just can't live without it, that has become an idol 
whether it's a, it's a relationship, a child, a job. If you can't imagine what life would be like without it, that thing has become an idol. Um, okay, so, so just, <laughs> that's the longest recap ever. Um, we're just talking about uh, the, the you know, Tower of Babel and the worship of self, and then and the God comes and uh, uh, spreads out the languages, and then Pentecost comes, and then they're unified again. So we left off with Abraham, uh, uh, 11, 31, and then I'll go to 12 a little bit. Uh, Terah took his son Abraham, Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out for Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. We're going to go on to chapter 12, verse 1. Now, verse 1, if you had a, if you had a pen or a mental highlight or something, now the Lord said to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went away as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay? Remember, the world is growing, expanding, self-worship, cities, technology, all this stuff, advancement, all the way up until this point. At this point, there's only, you know, one family, as we can tell in scriptures, given an account, that have a relationship with God. They're, they're the hope you know, if, if the ark and God preserved all humanity through Noah, now this family is like an ark. And the message and the relationship with God, all hope lies in this family. God, um, you know, this whole family is prompted uh, by, by divine, you know, providence of God to go to Canaan. Right? God has a plan. God has a purpose. A promised land. But it says in chapter uh, 11, the last verse, that they stopped in Haran and they settled there. They got comfortable. And so the hope of the world, the coming of the Messiah, hinges on God's purpose and God's plan and the obedience and our response to Him. And what I want you to see here is, I remember, you remember when I said, all throughout the scriptures, all throughout history, all throughout humanity, there will be places where you know, we disobey. There will be places where you and I sin. There will be places where we grow distant. Right? And we said, but God, but God remembered Noah. And so, you know, God is the one who has taken initiative. God is the one, even when we forget, and even when we become faithless, He doesn't forget, and He is faithful. Right? And so God is a promise keeper. We may forget the promises and the commitments that we have made to God, but God will never forget the promises and the commitments that He has made to us. Amen? Ultimately, for His glory, for our redemption and salvation, not for the job or the house or the relationship. Does that make sense? Right? Those are blessings. But the ultimate promises of God is that you will have purpose, that you have meaning, that you have value, that you are loved, and you will know, you should know this now, but if you don't, you will know this. You must know this. Outside of everything that you do, work, relationship, and things, you are purposeful. You have value. God is a promise keeper. Amen.
okay? Almost. A few more minutes. <laughs> um, and so, again, chapter 12, Abraham, the hope of the Messiahs coming through this family in the Promised Land, settles. They forget. The uh, commentaries and uh, other places in scriptures, there's other references to this chapter 12, you know, uh, chapter 11, verse 31, where they settled. Chapter 12, verse 1, where God calls. There are several references throughout scriptures. Joshua uh, 24, other accounts, other cross-references. And by all accounts, Abraham's father, his family, has completely assimilated into the ways of the world. They've adopted the values and the cultures and the practices of the cities away from God. They're basically backslidden, the whole family. The whole family is backslidden. The whole family's like, this is good. Wow, look at these events. You know, man, I don't want to you know, start over over here. They've settled down. They've started subscribing and, 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 and living by the value systems of the civilizations and the peoples and cities around them. They're, they're gone. They're, they're, they're hanging by a thread. And once again we see, by the grace of God, by God's initiative, God is the one, God is the one who reaches out to Abraham. Abraham's not the one who's like, oh, woe is me, what are we going to do? I need God and this is no purpose and, you know, Lord say, God is the one who saw that we were down a path that if we kept going would be irrecoverable. And so God intervened. He cut in. He interrupted and called Abraham and said, Abraham, go from your country, from your relatives, leave your relatives, leave your father's house, leave behind your inheritance, leave behind your father's name, leave all these things behind and I will show you to the place that I will take you and I will make you into a great nation. It's an invitation. God makes an invitation, calls out Abraham to leave this value system, this world, and Abraham responds. And so, as a result, uh, uh, Abraham will go and he's going to have certain challenges and uh, there's a lot of time that passes, some, I, I believe some 80 years between when God promises to make him into a great nation to about the time where he actually has Isaac a child. And so all sorts of tests, trials, difficulties, and through that, um, but God has a purpose, God has a plan, and then it's through Abraham that eventually he'll make his second covenant that points towards Christ. So let's have the worship team come up. Um, and so this morning, uh, let's just uh, respond. And uh, I want to invite us to give God permission this day. I was talking about baptism earlier. And so what I am very, very intentional, very, very clear, I won't do a baptism class, I won't baptize someone unless I say this statement right here, what I'm about to say. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you say, Jesus, come into my life, when you say, Lord, I surrender my life, I acknowledge you are God, Holy Spirit, come. The scriptures tells us that you can't even say Jesus is Lord. You can't say Jesus is Lord, right? And, and really mean it unless the Spirit of God has already brought you revelation. 
right? And so God is the one who initiates. God is the one who moves. God is the one who says, come, you need me. Come near to me. And so we respond to his mercy. We respond to his grace. And when we say yes to Jesus, we're not saying yes to Jesus to come into, in addition, on top of all the things I already have. Lord, thank you for coming. You're such a wonderful guest, but don't touch anything. You know, you can stay in this room, in this living room area, and if you need anything, ask me first. Kind of a thing, right? A guest, right? Are you that kind of host? I, I think I am. And this is what I say. Before I'm willing to baptize you, you must say this statement. I'm not just accepting Jesus into my life. I'm not just asking him to be my savior. I'm also inviting Jesus and asking him to be my Lord. That means he's in charge. That means he calls the shots. That means I ask him, I wait on him, and then I do only that which I believe in my heart of hearts and the spirit as I get better in hearing him to do only that which I believe he is leading me in. Anything outside of that, I don't want to be a part of it. Anything outside of that, I'm willing to wait. You're, and so I say, if you have other belief systems, idols, religions, okay, that's easy. But if you have other value systems, belief systems, even that needs to be laid down at the foot of the cross. So you're not just accepting Jesus as Lord, but you're as Savior, but also as Lord. You're not just adding Him to a, a, a trove of other values that we live by. We are also renouncing and rejecting other practices and beliefs. And so I say, if you have other faiths, if you have other traditions, if you have other practices, you know, if it's if it's a worship of a, a different deity, if it's a superstition, if it's this thought that I can't do this, if I do this, this is going to happen, or I better do this, if I don't do this, and this is going to happen. That superstitions, not a religion, but it's still a belief system. You know, a, a, a work ethic can be a, a belief system. Oh, I, I know, I've, I've proven to myself that as long as I work hard, everything works out, and th that's a belief system. And I'm sorry, but that's not true. Sometimes you work hard and it doesn't work out. Sometimes you do all the right things and still, you know, difficult things befall you. Does that make sense? Don't put your faith in those things. Right? When you say, Jesus, come into my life, you're not just accepting Him, you're rejecting. You are renouncing the other prominent belief systems, the other prominent effective ways of processing information and making decisions. All those things are laid down before Christ. And so we want to give permission to our Lord this morning to interrupt us. We want to give permission to Jesus, to God, to come in. Everything's good, we're comfortable, we're settled, but Lord, Lord, if this is not the place you want for me, I'm not talking about location, but mindset, comfort, you know, value. If this is not the place you have for me, some of you guys, I even know, God, I know there's something more. I, you know, everything's good, but I know there's something more. I know you have something more for me, right? It's not even like things are bad and I'm, you're desperate. Abraham certainly, nothing was bad. He wasn't desperate, right? But I think God spoke to something that he knew. There, 
there must be something more. There must be something greater. Right? And so you're somewhat satisfied, but you know there's more. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Give Him permission. Say, God, I give you permission to interrupt my schedule. I give you permission to intervene, to, to, to come into and disrupt and to call me out for wherever you want to call me. God, wherever you call me, I trust you. God, wherever you call me, it's going to be, it's going to definitely be a ride. It's going to be ups and downs and adventure, but as long as you are in it, I'm going to be okay. And so that's the invitation we're making this morning. That's what God did. He, he comes, he makes an invitation to Abraham. If you trust me, and if you follow me, and if you stick to the words and commands and directions that I give you, you will be blessed. And you will be a blessing <laughs> to the people you love and to those outside as well. And so let's respond to the Lord in this way.